world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. There's actually, like, news to talk about. We don't talk about news very often anymore. Um, what do you guys think about all the, the MCU stuff? Like, big high-profile folks leaving or getting fired. Their big bad for this coming arc has uh, been accused of assault and... Oof. You guys hear about all this? Who has left or been so fired? So it's a lot of the um, executives behind the scenes. Oh, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, of course, Perlmutter is gone, too. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're fine with it. Oh, that's right. We, we were chatting about that in our in our Discord. Because mm-hmm. I didn't actually know many of the details of Ike Perlmutter other than I think he was the guy who told Art Spiegelman. I think he's the guy who told Art Spiegelman that he couldn't reference Trump in his essay about Marvel Comics. Yeah. That might be true. That sounds true. It, that it sounds true. familiar. <laughs> yeah. It feels true, so it's probably true. I could be on Joe Rogan. They fired Victoria Alonso. I think they're they're seeing they're like Ant Man was a failure. Let's clean up shop. You know, I don't know. Um, and I like read a headline today where it's like they're not going to do as many projects on you know film and TV. Maybe they're trying to tighten things up a little bit, which wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. You know, some of their TV projects are exciting. Some are like eh. I think part of it was also they had so much stuff during the pandemic that was kind of slow moving through it that a lot of it was released at once. So, one, there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity to kind of check audience reaction. And two, it, I think it just felt like a lot because it was a lot. That It was stuff that was supposed to come out over two, I think almost three years and it all came out in one. But as, as far as like, I don't know, casting and stories that they're telling, I tend to trust Feige. And I think a lot of these projects, like uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Marvel, or Miss Marvel, WandaVision, I think a lot of those were things he really wanted to get across. Mostly to say, kind of, for lack of a better word, minority projects. You know, giving the spotlight to a lot of these other characters who are interesting that aren't Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans. And so, I mean, Shang-Chi, right? Like, who thought Shang-Chi was going to have a movie and it was going to be as good as it was and so so i don't know i tend to trust feige with a lot of these decisions and i think if phase five is looking a little bit more traditional i feel like it'll wrap back around to kind of some of the feeling or some of the aesthetics or types of stories that we're tackling in phase four yeah i yeah i i also don't know it's a legitimate read on the phase that the phase had a theme of like grieving and loss and don't know how accurate that was to like I don't know like Feige's vision or 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 you know you know goal I guess but it was kind of interesting to have a whole phase that felt thematically linked even though narratively a lot of the stories did not link up that much. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was coincidence or that was actually planned, but yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's. I wish Phase 4 had been better. Mm-hmm. I just, other than WandaVision, I don't think any of the stories really landed the way that they were intended to, despite excellent performances and some decent standout episodes. Loki's one of those that um, I wish it had been weirder from the start. I think it would have been better 
if it had yes. been a little less Doctor Who at the beginning and yes, just more agreed. Loki from the beginning. I still enjoyed it. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it was it bad until like episode four or five. Yeah, the second half of Loki. Though, I kind of thought great. it was bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it got better once once the alligator Loki shows up. That was it so good. Up being pretty good. <laughs> I'm just hoping alligator Loki shows up in Loki season two. It would be a waste yeah. to not. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that Jonathan Majors didn't do the things he's accused of if he did then then well then he you know justice should be served but it like really sucks because you know he was a standout part of uh quantumania and i was like this he's gonna be such a good villain he's a great actor and then this happens and it's like ah dang it you know so they'll cast other actors if i read the news correctly though i think the case has already been um, I don't know what the right word is it. Not repealed, but it's already been like thrown out or Yeah, the girl that the, the accusations kinda of came out and said that it wasn't him hmm. and stuff like that. But like that news has not, did not blow up nearly as much as the initial accusations. And pretty quickly in that week of he lost like two other projects. Dang. But as but as far as I know, Marvel has kept him. Yeah. But, like, that news did not... I mean, like, that's just kind of the truth of it, is the news corrections and follow-up never get as much traction as the initial story. If you get, like, a uh, source on that, I'd like to see it, because I'm not I'm not seeing anything that says that that has uh, been walked back at all. I will try and find but it. But I'm not looking... Like, I just did a quick Google search, so... Because he was only arrested, like, less than a week ago. Mm-hmm. No, it was longer than that, wasn't it? No, it was not. Hmm. Yeah, he was arrested. Oh, okay, so maybe it was a little bit more than a week ago. I just found a story from, from eight days ago that talks about the arrest. Anyway, yeah, uh, I hope that the truth comes out whichever way it falls. Yeah, justice has served. It, I'm too far removed from it, and I ha- definitely haven't been following the news enough to really have an opinion one way or the other. Yeah, too often we don't. the victims don't get justice, especially when the, the folks who are doing the victimizing are powerful. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, too often, the only powerful folks who are held to account are the black folks. And so it's frustrating. It's like it's a no-win scenario, because even if Jonathan Majors did it and he's held accountable, it's like, well, that's still weirdly a problem, because when white folks do it they tend to get away with it Mm -hmm. it just uh uh, the system is messed up and that's why we read comics as an escape yeah civil war (laughs) 2 that's not this week that was last time this is the superhuman registration podcast we are here to talk about some comics that we read that uh these we did some deep cuts arcs that i had not heard of i've not heard any buzz about i'm pretty excited to get through these i am here with Aldo, and with John. How are you guys doing this evening? I am doing well. Yes. <laughs> Riveting. <laughs> like, you should have thought of a thing to say in the intro, you idiot. That was my thing going, oh no, I'm being called on in class. I was trying to remember the, uh, oh, it's from like an outcast bit. In like one of their albums, they have like a bit and somebody like walks up to somebody. They're like, how are you doing? And they say something like spectacularly well, and like it goes on for a little bit. And I was trying to remember that that last line of it, and I blanked. And I was like, "I'm doing well." <laughs> I just defaulted to my NPC dialogue. Uh, on unrelated news, Outcast still good. Yeah, I try to I'm sneak in. I only listen to radio singles. <laughs> I was going to say, I try to sneak in Hey Ya every now and again when I'm playing music for my kids. You know, trying to play, like, more than just in the Encanto soundtrack over and over and over again. Oh, yeah. 
I love the uh, Roses song from their double album. Yeah, Roses is good. Uh, oh God, I feel bad for really liking ghetto music as much as I do, <laughs> but I really like ghetto music. Anyway, uh, we're, we're talking about Outkast. I don't... Where do you guys want to start tonight? We've got Star Jammers and we've got... Hold on, Aldo's got a thing to say. I'm, I'm trying to segue and say we're... We're talking about good outcast music because we have at least one story about outcasts. Oh, that uh, was a good segue. That was a good segue. It was okay. <laughs> it was better than what I had. I was just gonna like force it. You, you, you got a little bit of butter, greased those wheels a little bit. A little bit. I tried. Sometimes I try. Okay, I feel like I have more to say about Nick Fury, so maybe we start with Star Jammers. Sure. Did I say I would summarize Star Jammers? Because I'll summarize it. It occurs to me that I don't think we asked anybody to summarize anything. John, why don't you summarize Star Jammers, and Aldo and I will think about what we've done. <laughs> so we read... <laughs> nice. Um, we read Star Jammers, which if you type in Star Space Jammers... Um, you get all the Star Wars stories first instead of the six-issue series from 2004 that we read. I thought, I was like, Star Jammers, that's like Cyclops' dad. Nope, not this one. Luckily enough, they put in little summaries of everything uh, in the uh, issue, but um, this basically follows Tolo Hawk. He is... Um, joining the Union Defense Corps with his father. He's having a, a royal dinner, and he gets to meet the princess, and it's all like a very meet-cute over dinner. Like, oh, he's handsome. Oh, and he's going to be a guard. And he's like, oh, she's a nice queen. She's not like a stuck-up royal or whatever. Oh, um, the Star Jammers attack, um, and it turns out that the the committee, the, the um, bureaucrats surrounding the princess are stealing alien... Um, tree people embryos seeds that uh they can use as a drug to give themselves powers and it's killing off these um this group of people and the star jammers are trying to stop that well tolo hawk sees them as bad guys they attack the ship they take it out and he's sent on a uh, escape hatch as his father is killed by these pirates and then he realizes that he's he's with the bad guys and the pirates are the good guys and so they uh, stage a little rebellion and they they expose the uh, evil committee for what they've done and meet up with the princess and he sticks around to be part of the core and the star jammers go on their way that's pretty much it and we can get into more specifics um uh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be nope. um, more like swashbuckly and less like, you know, freedom fighter-y. I thought we were going to get more Cyclops' dad and less uh, randos that I hadn't heard of. And there's a dude named Chode in this. How do we feel about this one, fellas? So we can all agree that this is just the Futurama episode where Fry eats the popcorn babies, right? <laughs> Right, that's like, much more lighthearted than my take. <laughs> <laughs> like that's that's just the story here, right? Eat hyraxes, why not? Because <laughs> uh, the moment the moment I saw the the committee eating the little seeds, and then I I think we get the reveal after that or before that they are the seedlings that would become tree people. True shreds, like, you say? Yeah, I was just like, oh. <laughs> This is the Futuraba episode, alright. I have to go back and watch that one, because I, I, for whatever reason, the one I stumble upon the most is when he, it's like early in the first season, I think, he drinks the uh, Emperor, because they're water people. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, just walks in and he sees a bottle of water and it turns out that's the emperor. <laughs> and they've all been assassinated, so he, like he's next and they know that he's next. It's really funny, but different different type of um, rebellion here. Steven, I, I think you have things to say that you're not happy about. I mean, y'all heard of QAnon? <laughs> What? Yeah. No, um, is, I've I've been living under a rock. You know how... Here, I'm going to read just quickly from, from the Wikipedia article. One of the beliefs of QAnon, the, the conspiracy theory, the right-wing conspiracy theory that, that claims that there is a uh, secret organization within the United States that is leading people down the path of Satan worship and only Donald J. Trump can deliver us from it. <laughs> One of QAnon's beliefs is that politicians and Hollywood elites, here I am quoting from Wikipedia, engage in adrenochrome harvesting in which adrenaline is extracted from children's blood to produce the psychoactive drug adrenochrome. That's the plot of this book. Uh, it's what if QAnon is actually right about a thing <laughs> and also they're in space. <laughs> now this was from 2004. So right, it predates it predates Pizzagate and QAnon and all of this other rubbish. Ugh. Here's the thing, and the book is obviously like not that really. It's it's just a spacefaring adventure, but the evil people are literally eating babies as drugs, which is what the QAnon folks believe this Hollywood cabal is doing. And so the minute I made that connection, I could not relax. This ugh. I just thought it was really like. Hey, these guys are evil. We want to make sure that it's very clear that there's no gray area with these guys. Check them out. They're eating babies. And uh, the princess, she's basically Zelda. So, like, you, you know, know that she is a good guy. And uh, Tolo Hawk, that's very, like, yeah, I just... So I've I've shared in our, in our Discord what I thought of when re- trying to get through the first issue before I, like, realized, oh, I can skim and still catch all of this because there's a great XKCD where it's a chart. Probability that a book is good uh, goes down the num- more number of words made up by the author. This might be my second favorite XKCD comic. It's so... It keeps coming back. Anytime I read fantasy, I'm like, okay, okay, okay. That's... that. I mean... Not to pile on, but the the reason I like Brandon Sanderson is he takes normal words that aren't weird and, you know, gives them a meaning that means something different in the story. You know, his, the, the uh, Mistborn, they burn metal. They are, they are mistings. They are, um, you know, different terms that are real, are real words that just have a different meaning in his books. Not this made up nonsense. And I, I, I liked, I, I, one of the things that jumped out at me was that this is Kevin J. Anderson who wrote this, who did mm-hmm. a lot of Star Wars um, books, uh, a Young Jedi Knights uh, series that I read yeah. a lot of and really enjoyed as a kid. And so I was like, all right, this guy knows his stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this, it, but it felt like it was just piling on all this nonsense. And I was like, I don't see how this connects to like, you know, the Marvel, um, you know, kind of cosmic, you know, story. Like uh, I kept waiting for it to connect to a familiar group and it, didn't unless I need to read more comics, oh darn, and find out, you know, where all these groups connect, like, the, you know, the uh, organization of intelligent creatures or whatever that pretty much is only humans, you know, there's, the bad guys really only want humans involved and not, you know, tree people, not aliens, they keep calling everyone aliens, where it's like, you, everyone's an alien, man, you're out in space on a spaceship, this isn't anybody's home world, you're on a spaceship, everybody is equally alien to everyone else, 
So that kind of got in the way. The art changes up. Uh, so Kevin J. Anderson is the author throughout. Jorge Pereira Lucas is a penciler, and we get uh, Transparency Digital as a colorist. Tommy um, Otsuka is a penciler as well. That's in issue six, but I believe earlier on we have a different team of artists. Um, Francisco Ruiz Velasco and Sean Parsons doing pencils and inks. And there is kind of a jump from issue one to two, and then I think it stays, you know, consistent quality-wise from two on. I I was going to make the joke that a lot of this book, especially when I was reading, like, the first couple issues, well, especially the first issue, to myself, chuckling to myself at the darkness of my room reading a comic, I was like, this looks like somebody got into the professional comics industry after they learned how to draw with one of those book fair, how to draw manga books. Yes. That's that's the vibe I got too. Like things things are drawn correctly, like the anatomy is not bad, you know, the the paneling's not bad, but like nothing it's is in the faces, I think. Yeah, yeah. Nothing too like Tolo Hawk is just like, you know, this is this is your Luke Skywalker, this is your Paul Atreides, this is your you know okay. It's you know, the lost the lost boy out in space trying to be a hero and it's like uh yeah. There wasn't enough like distinctiveness to anything that like it was all very like I think technically fine, but not like artistic enough for me. I don't know. It wasn't bad by any chance and and let me also again say as i try to say um and anytime i'm like me about the art uh i couldn't do it so you know better than average guy i guess but um it just didn't really like didn't blow my hair back i guess i don't know the inks seemed super heavy i actually kind of like the heavy inks you would you just would wouldn't you? i do i do i weirdly <sighs> like the, the thick line work that kind of makes it look like a page from a coloring book. Like, I, I genuinely like that stuff. I don't think the coloring matches that aesthetic very well. Uh-uh. Um, I, again, none of these are bad elements. I would argue that the weakest element is the writing. And I've got some specific uh, accusations to make. But I thought the art was charming in the same way that, like, late 80s, early 90s fantasy comics might be. Very dated, but, you know, fun. I don't know. I thought the art was fine. <laughs> well, I did have, since you bring up the writing, I did have a uh, a, a language question for you. Stephen uh, studied English and probably has a wider vocabulary than I have off the top of my head because this this threw me for a loop. We have this ridiculous panel where one of the like committee members, and this is why we must remain ever vigilant, the populace loves Princess Sabra, and she has gone on this long peregrination to quell their unruliness. What does peregrination mean? So, fun fact. I have a Magic the Gathering deck where all of the cards are verbs. And the story of the deck is that there are two characters that are in the deck. One of them is a dude and the other one is a dog. The story of the deck is the dude is taking his dog on a walk. (laughs) Okay. There is a Magic the Gathering card called Peregrination. And it means to travel on foot or to take a walk. Is this like Defenestrate where it's like we could just say throw him through a window, but instead we say Defenestrate. Defenestrate is kind of fun. Whereas Peregrinate is kind of just pretentious. Yeah, it's really up its own butt. Oh, sorry. What was the fun word? Defenestrate. It means to throw someone through a window. Right. 
there will never be enough chances for me to use that word, and I that makes me sad. Well, we don't live in the Old West anymore, so, yeah. You need to study European history, because in European history, you will learn of the defenestration of Prague, and <laughs> you will never forget that word. I just imagine, just, just based on that sentence and what I just learned that word means, I just imagine an Animaniac skit with, like, Yakko grabbing... <laughs> that country <laughs> just thrown it out the window i see like a bunch of czech monks in medieval times just throwing people out the window for some reason just imagine just grabbing prague off the map and just throwing that feels like a joke they would do kind of it kind of does yeah yeah it's one of those it's one of those jokes that like later shows up on like a buzzfeed article of like top 10 jokes you didn't understand when you were 10 when you were 12 yeah. <laughs> oh boy so this book is basically star wars right yeah mm-hmm. i mean yeah <laughs> if if luke was trying to join join the empire yeah which he was at the beginning yeah yeah very was, uh, very beginning was, of episode four he's gonna go off to join the the empire yeah he's gonna join the the flight academy right yeah right but yeah, the first issue especially, it's like you've got all of these like wealthy, vaguely human, well, no, vaguely human. They are human looking. You've got the human looking empire that hates all of the weird looking aliens and the weird looking aliens are in this uh, alliance that fights against them. It's Star Wars. It's QAnon. It's not Marvel Comics. Like the, the biggest failing of this book, I think, is that it's got a Marvel Comics logo on the front and Marvel Comics characters on the cover who you recognize but are barely in the book and are definitely not the main characters. Yeah. The Star Jammers are not the main characters of this book. If I had just picked this up as like a random Dark Horse comic uh, that Kevin J. Anderson did that didn't have any Marvel intellectual property attached to it at all, I might have liked it better because it sets my expectations in a weird place to have be like, okay, we've got, you know, Hepzibah and Cho'od and the other guy whose name I forget, Raka? Yeah. Like, we've got these characters. I recognize them. I watched the X-Men cartoon. They were all in that. So I'm expecting, you know, Marvel aliens. I'm expecting Shi'ar. I'm expecting the Brood. I'm expecting, you know, any number of things. These tree guys have potential, but to my knowledge, this is the only time I've ever seen them. Marvel's aliens are not really, like, my deepest passion. I don't know that much about them. But I've read a lot of Marvel comics. I have never seen these guys before. They're not Groot. No. I kept waiting for that to happen, but they spoke the whole time. They were, you know, they're Groot adjacent. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I will say the the fact that the princess's bodyguard is also the lawyer, and she's about to like she has a showdown with some of these uh, like assassins that are trying to take out the princess. And the lawyer is like, in the union of intelligent races, being a lawyer is a true warrior's profession. I am prepared to make my opening statement. I genuinely laughed. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Oh, I rolled my eyes. <laughs> I mean, me too, but I roll my eyes at your jokes and you're still on the podcast. So, you know, there's a space for this. Oh, man. <laughs> I, that's fair. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, oh, then what, what does she say? Like, she, like, after she finishes beating the mob, she's like, I rest my case. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. It's, it's a little, it's a little silly, but yeah. I mean. Just, At least she didn't say like, I object at every hit, you know, like sustain, sustain, you know. <laughs> every punch just say sustain. <laughs> yeah. 
Mm. I've been trying to let my geek flag fly a little bit more in my personal and professional life. So I had an internal training that I did with some of my colleagues, and I chose to illustrate a discussion between the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services and the American Medical Association using sprites from Phoenix Wright versus uh, Miles Edgeworth. And it just has really gotten me in the mood for some literal legal battles because, boy, those games are weird. (laughs) (laughs) Phoenix Wright, pretty, pretty good games, honestly. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Anybody have anything else to say about Star Wars The Star Jammers? I thought Hepzibah was a mutant from the X-Men. That's where she first appeared. But in fact, she, no, she is a, um, you know, she's a Star Jammer, like original Star Jammer, I guess. Mm -hmm. She's an alien. Yeah. She's, she's a skunk person. Yes, yes. Um, this is all new to me, because I was like, hey. Because I just assumed that, like, you know, she was an X-Men part of, like, you know, like, the New Mutants era, and was like, nah, I'm going to space. But no, she was in space and met up with the X-Men, I guess. So, learn something new every day. But it was confusing, because she was right alongside um, Rain St. Clair, who also has, like, wolf powers, and so... When there's a comic with both of them, I was like, oh, 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 oh. our wolf cup overfloweth, I guess. And so, but uh, now I have them straight. Not, not well, She's now I know. She's a skunk. So, anyway. Does she have skunk powers? Let us see. She, no. <laughs> she can fight. Oh, but she does have mood and uh, mind-altering pheromones. So that's good. Like a skunk. Skunks have mood-altering pheromones. They exert their pheromones, and you feel bad. Yeah, it's kind of like a one-shot or a one-trick pony or skunk. But, yeah, I guess that's true. (laughs) I was just going to say, have either of you ever been sprayed by a skunk? I I luckily have not been. Knock on wood as I say that. No, but that's why I keep a 24-pack of V8 juice in my garage just in case. Smart. Smart. <laughs> Did you guys notice that the, the issue count changed? Yes. Like, this was originally predicted to be, was it four-part or five-part, and then they added an additional mm-hmm. part? Yeah, on issue five. Yeah. On issue five, it changes to, like, chapter five of six or whatever. But it's but it was originally billed as one of five. Yeah. Also, yeah. maybe it's because I've been consuming a lot of D&D content, but a lot of this book also felt like a D&D campaign. Yeah. It did. It did. Put an elf in there and this could have been Dragonlance. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> I will say that one of the things I did like about this, even though there weren't roots, I did like their little society of elders, like with the tree people. Yeah, no, the tree aliens were kind of interesting. Yeah, the tree lore was neat. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Too bad they all died. Yeah, I did like that the captain at the end kind of decides to take his place as the sole elder, which probably not great for, you know, a council of decisions to be made, but better one than nothing, I guess. And, you know, he seems to have his head on, right? He was he was happy to be like a tree, a stay put kind of tree mm-hmm. and not uh, go fight people kind of tree. So, you know. Also, the bad guy's plan was bad, right? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't great. Like, not a good plan. The chance of overdose was too much. And we see that it happens, and they have to know. Twice! Mm-hmm, yeah. Two different characters overdosed on these tree babies, and they tried to frame the Star Jammers using military equipment that is standard issue. Like, this is, these are just not smart. Ugh. You see better planning from Gru in the Despicable Me movies, <laughs> crying out loud. 
well, they're just corrupt officials and he's like, you know, an evil genius. So there, maybe that's the difference. They also have almost a literal deus ex machina with uh, Kist. Is it like Kist? It's like a buzz. I completely out. forgot about this guy. Yeah. Which their equipment had been malfunctioning. They haven't figured it out. And Tolo just decides, I'm going to talk to the ship. So he goes aboard the Starjammer and he's like, it's all right. And then this, this being of energy who's been exiled from his people says like, hey, I'm here and I've been helping out. And it's like, well, they, you've got to be careful. And they really like this ship, these pirates. So maybe reveal yourself to them. And they decide, oh, we can send him because he's made of energy to the planet to, like, stop the bad guys because we're sending a message. He's made of energy. It's, you know, why not? So that's how they're able to get the drop on the uh, bad guys. So, you know, deus ex machina. But I don't know. I think that's an interesting character concept, having having a character that's, like, made out of energy, you know. So it's not the, not the worst thing in the world. But just kind of uh, underwhelming. I don't know. I, I was hoping for a little bit more, but... Um, yeah, that's all I gotta say about Star Jammers. There is a villain made out of electricity who fights the Hulk. His name is Zax with three Z's. Of course. <laughs> Nothing says electricity like Z's. He puts his he puts his enemies to sleep, does he? Double the E, double the Z, double the flavor. Ask your doctor if Zax is right for you. <laughs> it's not. It's not right. It's not. Yeah. All right. Do we want to move on? I think we covered that one. Yeah, it's fury time. Take it away, Stephen. Ah, beans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think I can actually summarize this pretty quickly. So, Nick Fury, this series was written by James Robinson with pencils by Aco, A-C-O. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Uh, it's a decent artist's name. Inks by Hugo Petrus, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by Travis Lanham. This is essentially Nick Fury as James Bond. It's it's a six-part story where Fury goes on different missions. They are vaguely connected by... There's, there's one recurring character that kind of ties the whole thing together, and that is an agent of Hydra that Fury runs into over and over and over again, stalling until I can pull a character's name up. That is, so that is Frankie Noble, agent of Hydra. So it's it's basically just these recurring battles between Nick Fury and Frankie Noble. Fury goes to a casino to steal some information from Hydra. Fury goes to a, I believe, fictional Central American country in order to protect their corrupt president from an assassination attempt until he can be arrested by the international government. He goes to outer space to fight space samurai. He goes to a quiet little town where everybody is secretly an assassin. He goes under the sea and gets in fights with Atlanteans. And then he also uh, winds up going back to this old castle that Nick Fury visited in the 70s era of comics. And I think that's an important thing to point out that I have not yet done so. When I say Nick Fury here, we are talking Nick Fury Jr., who is the version of the Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury that was introduced in the mainline Marvel Universe as 
the original Nick Fury's son. It's very complicated. It's very weird. This story doesn't really deal with it very much, which I think is a good thing. You know, this is Nick Fury Jr. He's going on adventures. He mentions his father, and I think we get to see an image of his father once at the very end when the story is fully resolved, and he's like, I feel close to my father now. So I, so I think the history behind that is that the Nick Fury in The Ultimates is the Ultimate Universe's original Nick Fury. When they Correct. combined the universes. Oh, no, no, no. They didn't combine. So, I mean, they did when they did Secret Wars. But they integrated the Sam Jackson Nick Fury into the mainline Marvel world before that. And that's how they did it. By giving him, like, a secret son. So, not confusingly at all, this Nick Fury is not the same Nick Fury as the Ultimate World Nick Fury. It's a different one because they wanted to capitalize on that. Because I think they knew at some point the ultimate stuff was going to end, so they didn't want to do that. But then they did that anyways with Miles Morales, so nothing matters. <laughs> Basically, they were like, you know, our old Nick Fury design is very kind of meh. We can we can Samuel Jackson this up, but how are we going to keep the timeline? It's just a mess. So I was like, yeah. whatever. He's a spy. He's Nick Fury. This is fine. So whatever. to be fair, the one of the quickest ways to improve a lot of things is to just add Sam Jackson to it. Correct. And he'll do anything, you know. He'll be in any movie. I'm going to get him for my independent film. He'll play the part of me in my biography. <laughs> Aldo, I didn't realize you cursed so much. <laughs> Aldo, you sure drop a lot of uh, words you shouldn't. <laughs> S- Stephen, have you asked us for our opinion about this? Uh, Go right ahead. I want to hear your opinion. I... Loved the art to the point that I could overlook the fact that it was, like, a little repetitive. Like, he shows up, he does a bunch of, like, cool action stuff, and then gets out and on to the next thing. I did like Frankie. Yeah, that's a cool, that's a cool like, bad guy name. I hope she pops up in other stuff. I'd be interested to see if she's, like, you know, like, small-time baddie and other things. Um, good foil for him because she kind of had a crush on him. And I just thought, like, the art was super cool. I really like heist movies. And heist stories. And so the whole time, you know, I feel like the uh, paneling and everything, the pacing of it felt very much like cool montage scenes you get when someone's planning a heist or a spy movie, you know. Um, things are, you know, broken up into these these um, cool establishing shots and then a ton of little panels where he's doing the business of being a spy. He's doing the business of, you know, taking out the bad guys. You know, uh, we can see how he works. I like that his vacation very quickly was like, nope, go kill all of the assassins in this town because everyone in this town is an assassin cool coloring throughout just very vibrant and like just uh, i don't know uh very very cool to me that's that's what i thought of it i really liked just the sheer amount of double page spreads Mm -hmm. the little collage montages that were happening all the time i think it got to be a bit much yeah, when they were like, hey, get two issues and put them side by side so you can see all four of these pages together. And it was like, you <laughs> tricksy so-and-sos trying to get me to buy two comics. Yeah. I think I think that was my only real complaint. It felt like that was they were doing that quite a bit to the point where I didn't even bother. Because I was reading this on my iPad. I didn't even bother switching back to a vertical view. Yeah. I just kept reading everything on a horizontal view because it's like, well, let's kind of be a two-page spread here and a in a minute, just give it a second. Do not read this on your iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> Even with smart panel, you're probably lost, huh? 
My my big complaint about this book is that the art is probably too good. Yeah. This is a glorious book to look at on a bigger screen or like on paper if you can get the, the original issues. Really gorgeous to look at. Do not read this on your phone. No. It just, you lose too much. Great colors too. Like, oh, yeah. such, really good. such good colors. Yeah, he never wears, like, the same colored uniform, like, twice, I think. Uh, I, so I really enjoyed that. I really liked... There were some really good... I was going to call them episodes, because it really does feel like a bit of an anthology oh, series. super episodic, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think my favorite one was the one where he has to go assassinate people on a... Was it a cruise or a train? And uh, yeah, number three. Yeah, he meet, yeah he meets that girl that he kind of has a thing for, and you know he kind of keeps having to step away because he has to go kill people. And then he finds out that he essentially did her job for her. But now that they're all done, they can you know relax and have some drinks. Very James Bond, like Stephen. Very. Already. Oh yeah, yeah. James Bond without the sexual assault, which is a great formula that frankly more stories, including and especially James Bond, should follow. <laughs> yeah. Some of those, uh, it's hard to, hard to go back and watch where it's like, oh my. <laughs> you're, like, you're awfully forceful. Consent, consent. <laughs> He's not treating these women nicely at all. You're not really that smooth if you have to force the interaction to happen there, bud. It's not, I don't think you understand what that means. Um, side note, 10 years ago, went to Edinburgh with my wife and we were going on a double-decker bus tour because, you know, that's, we just... We, that's what you do. The recording explaining all the different sites as you go throughout, if you wear the little headphones and plug in, everything possible in town. And there are there is no shortage of famous people and, and great people who come from Edinburgh, come from Scotland. But everything they could, they tied back to Sean Connery. So it's like, here we have this great uh, old house where Robert Louis Stevenson was born. But if you look across the street, this is a neighborhood where uh, Sean Connery might have delivered milk when he was a milkman in college. It was, it was wild. Every single thing was like, how can we tie this back to Big Sean? It was so funny. Speaking of James Bond, <laughs> who is a spy like um, Nick Fury. There we go. Seriously, though, I do think that the art is actually like so good that it is a problem. Like not only is it illegible on small screens, sometimes it's just straight up illegible. There were certain pages. I think issue one has this double page spread. It's when Frankie Noble is chasing Nick Fury. She's got the flying boat. He's got the flying car. And the panels are so small and they're so rapid, but they're like all slanted diagonally upwards and the word bubbles are kind of guiding you. It's really easy to get lost on that page though. I know what, yeah, I know what page you're talking about. That was a rough page. Yeah, it's so intricate. It's like you can't really follow it. And then sometimes you'll get the sound effects. One of the coolest things about comics is you have, you know, the sound effects where, you know, someone gets smacked in the face and it's, bap! you know, it, there's fun. There's a reason that every, like, comics-related story in the news for years had Biff Bam Pow in it. Yes, it's because of Batman 66, but Batman 66 had it because it was fun. Those onomatopoeias, those sound effects are illegible in this book. You cannot read them, especially the big ones. Like, again, I think it's issue three when Fury's on the train and he smacks some guy in the face with a, with a giant canister. I can't read the sound effect. It's a bummer because it's a beautiful image otherwise, but I can tell it's supposed to be a word. I can't tell what the word is because there are too many radial lines and too many stars. I just, I can't make it out. 
I think I think that's on purpose, and I think it, it works for me. Yes, it's crazy, but I think it's harder to convey motion, and um, this helps get the tone of of this kind of a. It, re- it feels very cinematic. The whole thing. Mm-hmm. It does. In, de- in defense of the flying boat chase and car chase, um, all the background noises that you can't read, the automatopoetic, uh, you know, sound effect, it's all kaboom because it's just explosions because they're shooting at each other. I get what you're saying and you're not wrong, but it still worked for me because it was just so wild. And like the, the pace of it just felt like we were just hanging on for dear life in the back of the car with him. And uh, I don't know. I really liked it. If I could compare this to yet another movie, I would actually compare it to Michael Bay. Oh, don't, hey, don't no, do not do listen, Nick Fury dirty let me like finish. that. Let me finish. You, if you haven't seen him, there are two really great YouTube video series covering the work of Michael Bay. One of them, well, okay, there are three. There are three different things that you need to watch. One of them is the Lindsay Ellis series where she uh, analyzes the Transformers franchise through multiple different cinematic lenses. One of them is the Every Frame of Painting video on Michael Bay's cinematic style. And then Patrick Willems has a two-part series on the entire career of Michael Bay through Pain and Gain, I think, was the last one that he covered. I don't remember. Anyway, I think it was Patrick Willems who said, but it sounds like this could have been an Every Frame of Painting thing, so it could have been from there either. Michael Bay shoots every shot like it's the most important shot in the movie. Every shot feels big Every shot feels important, and as a result, tends to feel kind of muddy. And that's kind of what happens in this book, I think. Every page is so bombastic, and there's so much stuff going on that it kind of doesn't feel special when it needs to feel special. But the thing is, when it works, it works. Chapter The first, the first issue, you flip over, you got the introductory page, and then you flip over, and it's the sky-high caper, and you've got these giant words like an opening page from the old Spirit comic, and it's just got this gorgeous sun and sailboats and bridges. It's beautiful. This is a beautiful book. It, it is weirdly too beautiful because they do too much. They go too hard too often. A little bit more restraint. You need to take some time to breathe. I want to also stress that this being my only complaint is not really... This doesn't hurt my opinion of the book too much because I was really pleasantly surprised with it. I thought it was quite, quite good. I just wish it had... Honestly, I wish it hadn't gone so hard. (laughs) I think the solution to that or not the solution i think a band-aid for it is i don't think you should read this book as a trade i don't think you should read this book each issue after the other it's kind of like i mean it's it's kind of like watching a michael bay movie or it's kind of like breaking bad i think you lose some of the intensity going through each issue with each issue being so bombastic if you read each issue separately you take some time in between each issue I think it maintains that energy a little bit more. But yes, it was like a little... In a sense, it was a little tiring to read because it is firing on all cylinders the whole time. And when you're reading six issues of that, you're just kind of... Like, in a way, you're kind of worn out by the time you're done with it. Especially if you read it all in, like, a sitting or two. I would agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, now as I enjoy this, though, you, Stephen has painted me like a Michael or a Michael Bay fanboy when I'm like, it's kind of like Baby Driver, right? No? <laughs> Edgar Wright? No? Oh, no? Okay. I don't know. 
it works for me, but uh, maybe that tells me something about. Man, I can't watch Baby Driver anymore. Half that cast has been accused of stuff. <laughs> I know. Terrible. I was thinking about watching that, and I was like, no, it's just going to bum me out. <laughs> it's just going to bum me out. They're like, oh, they were a bad guy. Oh, they're a bad guy in this movie, and they're a bad guy in real life. Oh, uh, he's supposed to be the good guy. Oh, but he's a bad guy in real life. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Half that cast. Oof. <laughs> yep. I will say that one of the things I wish, one of the little effects I wish had been used a little bit more was in the Atlantis issue. Again, I was about to call it an episode. In the Atlantis issue, there's a few pages where they show the timer that's left on his blue skin, water breathing skin or whatever he has on him. Mm-hmm. And a couple times they're like, yeah, he has, you know, 50 minutes left. And then later after he gets knocked out they're like yeah he has two minutes left i wish they would have made that a little bit more consistent i wish it would have shown up on more panels to add to that tension of how much time he has left and i don't think they used it enough i did like that um we get these little mission briefs at the beginning you know where he's going to be what he's after what kind of gear he has it's like that was a fun thing to kind of bring you in and kind of you know reset the stage every time i don't know was just working for me. These these establishing shots where he you know puts the they put the uh, title kind of mixed into the background or whatever. Yeah, uh, readability is a problem, but it's just so vibrant. It's just so wild. I really liked it. I will say I love the covers. I thought the covers were fantastic. great. Great cover designs. Yeah, which I think it was also Akko who was doing the covers as well. Uh huh. Uh huh. Fantastic work. Each one of them kind of feeling like a movie poster. Like, just excellent work all around. Yeah. Too excellent, apparently, is our complaint, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Every time Nick Fury introduced himself as Nick Fury Jr., I, I couldn't help but think of James Bond Jr. Right? Okay, good. I'm not alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think he introduces himself as Jr. I think everybody points him out as Jr. I think he does once or twice. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I also did like the little the little nod or the little not nod but maybe a little fist shaking at the whole like I'll take my my martini stirred stirred not shaken yeah, yeah. and they're like don't you want it shaken yeah. he's like not if you not if you want bruised uh, whatever right and I was like ah uh. not if you want a bruised cocktail or a bruised martini or yeah, something. something like that yeah I was like hey that was a that was a little too on the nose. It's like, we, we already know you're doing James. You don't yeah. need to get that. But away. the lawyer joke, Steven. <laughs> uh, the lawyer joke. Here's the, here's the difference. The lawyer joke was the only good joke. That's fair. This book was so good it didn't need that. That's fair. Yeah. I wish that one of the things they would have expanded on just a little bit, just narratively, is he... So he gets called Junior a few times in the book, right? And the final issue, we get the thing about him... You know, feeling close to his dad because he's visiting that place. And I think it's in the first issue where he talks about, like, yeah, so you just want me to be Nick Fury. And they're like, well, we'll be lucky if you're one-tenth of Nick Fury, right? I Mm -hmm. wish they would have expanded just a little bit more on his relationship with his dad. It may be another issue or two. Like, just a little something. But... That felt like that was, especially in the first issue, that felt like that was going to be like a main thread of the story. And it kind of really wasn't. But it's kind of hard to say that this was one complete story. Yeah, it's it's only a complete story in the sense that it's got a vague recurring antagonist in Frankie Noble. And it has a very definitive... And Frankie Noble only shows up in, I think, three of the six issues. She only shows up in three of the six issues and only actually confronts Fury in two of those three. Mm -hmm. The thing that keeps this from the tippy top of the list, because this is a pretty good book, 
book is the fact that it is just this, you know, fun episodic romp that is worth your time, but isn't must read. Like it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't even have a lot of thematic depth to it. It's just fun. It is fun though, so it's worth reading, but I don't think this is transcendently good. It's just, it's just good. Oh darn. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of just like little things about this. It's like, I wish we'd seen more payoff with Frankie Noble. I wish we'd found out who was giving Fury these missions. Like, well, you never see who his mission control is. Oh, I just assumed it was like Bullet Train and it was going to be Sandra Bullock the whole time. And you're like, how did I not see that coming? Of course that's who it was. <laughs> but that's what I was expecting and we didn't get it. I've been playing Resident Evil 4, so I thought it was going to be Huntigan. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Again, it's like not a big, it's not a big deal, but it is, yeah, this is a, this was a good book. I'm glad we read it. I just don't think it goes, it's going to go at the very top yeah. of it. Definitely a bit of a hidden gem. I don't think I heard anything about this book around the time it was coming out. I don't, I don't know that I did either. And often when that happens, it's like, oh, this is just something that they're putting out to fill out the shelf space. But no, this has got some legit pedigree behind it too. Like mm. we haven't really talked about the creative team much, but freaking James Robinson was a rock star of 90s comics, worked at DC. He brought the Justice Society of America back. And I don't remember if he created Starman or if he just wrote the comic, but Starman had a something like 60 issue run and it's considered like a highlight of 90s comics. Mm. And so like Robinson's Robinson's a good writer and I I didn't know he was still doing comics, frankly, but this book this book's pretty good. Just like it's solid. It's just solid the whole way through. Dear Mr. Robinson, Thank you for writing. Here's to you, Mr. <laughs> Robinson. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Fury loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What's that you say, Mr. Robinson? Frankie Noble's blown up the moon. Boo-hoo-hoo. Boo-hoo-hoo. Okay, I'm done. How experienced <laughs> of an artist is Akko? Because I've not ever seen their art. Never heard of them. There is no way this is like an early career book for him or them they have got to have done other stuff before this and it's kind of a surprise to also not have heard of them um yeah i'm putting them on my list of people to watch um and uh, look for because i like i liked it mm -hmm. but as steven says i don't know how high it goes on our list are we segwaying i don't know you can drop that in wherever you want <laughs> there's just one thing that i gotta say because i i feel like i did i don't I don't think I dumped on the art, but I was pretty hard on it. I will say this about Ako or Ako. I really wish I knew how to pronounce that. I think it's just Ako because it's Alex Cal Oliveira. Oh, okay. Oh, so I just uh, pulled up their information in Marvel Unlimited. They've only done like 12 books total. Just crazy to me. For, Mar for Marvel specifically. They did mm. one issue of Uncanny X-Men before this Nick Fury series. They did a little bit of work. In, and then after that, they did a little bit of work on like Doctor Doom. There's a Fantastic Four stuff. But yeah, no, they whoever like they haven't done much. The artwork kind of reminds me of J.H. Williams III. The layouts, yeah. Especially. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that is among the highest praises I can give to anybody working in comics. Williams is one of my favorite artists. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this this creator very on a very similar wavelength, and that can bring nothing but good things. 
Williams didn't get it right all the time either. Some of some of his earlier work in books like Chase, I think he did a little bit on Seven Soldiers Three, I think falls a little bit flat. But boy, when he's on, it's just it it transports it's so good. And I think Akko or ACO, like look up how to pronounce your name. Yeah, really good stuff. Let's rank. <laughs> Okay. Currently on our list, we have 235 stories. Highest ranking... Oh, yeah, no. The highest ranking space story we have, I guess you could say it's Silver Surfer Parable, but that's really pretty earthbound for a space story. But even, you know, not too far below that, we've got the beginning of the Dan Slot Silver Surfer run, which is New Dawn. That's currently at number 17. See, there is really good weird cosmic Marvel stuff. This... The the Cadet and the Corsairs. That's what this Starjammers story is called. Where do we want to rank it? Because it obviously doesn't go that high. No. I don't... It's not offensive, so it doesn't go... No. ...that far down, <laughs> but it does... I feel like it does go... Uh, I feel like Star Wars Infinity's Empire Strikes Back is a good ceiling. That's 159. I would probably go a little lower than that. Yeah. Even. <laughs> like, bury it. The lowest rated cosmic comic we have is Galacta. Ugh. But I that's not the first one my eyes landed on. The first one my eyes landed on was the Eternals saga in Thor. Oh yeah. Which like weirdly didn't end. Yeah, we only read that's, volume one. That's the floor, I would say. I think it's better than that. I don't know how much higher it goes. So I think it's somewhere in that 30 or 40 comic range that we put this. Honestly, I would put this, I think that's a good floor, but I don't think I would put this above New Warriors. New Warriors was a little bit more fun than this. This New Warriors book is weirdly low. I feel like it's not, but probably. There might be, there might have been something about it that maybe put it down here. I don't remember that book being that bad. What number is that at? I'm trying to find it and I don't see it. 194. Was there some kind of racist something going on? No, I don't think so. I don't recall. It could have been, but I don't remember. 2005, Um, Scotty Young. I don't, yeah, I don't think. You know, it started off at 40, and so it just keeps getting pushed down, I think, is more the issue, as opposed to it being, you know, bad. I'm I'm looking at, like, Bloodstone. I think I liked it more than that. Um, I don't know if I'd put it above, I don't know, Star Wars Infinities? I don't know. It was just very much like we've seen this kind of story before. We know what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, so, so mm-hmm. art. So there's, yeah, it's it's not bad, but it's also not great, not good. So it's... Yeah. Uh, okay, I think this is a weird, weird range of stories. I'm pretty solid on putting it at 195, like right below New Warriors. I think I'm fine with that. I think I'm fine with that. Yeah, I see a lot more in that area just above it that I would read again before reading this again, so. Yeah, I agree. I think that's what's doing it, is as I go up the list, it's like, actually, I would read that again. Yeah, I do think I would be more interested in reading Maximum Carnage. At least that has Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I just put a little um, cutout of Spider-Man next to my iPad, so he's in every book I read. Do you guys don't, don't do that? <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I just carry Spider-Man with me in my heart. Mm. Eventually on my skin. That sounded creepier than it meant. Uh, I, I mean, I want to get a tattoo of Spider-Man. <laughs> I knew what you meant. Yeah, that was clear. What kind? You want to get, like, webbing? You want to get the logo? What do you want to get? I don't know. I, I, that's the problem. I don't know. I don't like the logo. The logo is a spider. Full-body sim- symbiote? <laughs> you just you just get venom, except for, like, white patches? 
I would love to get like a silhouette of a bunch of the spider people like swinging. I, I think you should get a venom neck tattoo. Ugh. Yeah, and I'll start doing CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure it's Tom Hardy venom and not while like, I'm listening you know. to my Andrew Tate podcast. <laughs> There's a tweet that was going around today that's like, yeah, we get it. Andrew Tate is bad. Joe Rogan is bad. Jordan Peterson is bad. But can you think of any other good examples of masculinity? And my immediate thought is like, are those the only choices? Yeah, seriously. Dave Batista. Dave Batista is right there. The Rock. John Cena. No, no, The Rock's kind of toxic now. (laughs) What? I thought I heard he was a delight on all film sets. What's the deal? Oh, there's there's stuff going on. Come on. Yeah, face turn. No, heel turn. Sorry, the other direction. Yeah, heel turn. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, never learn anything about anyone. Nick Fury. <laughs> <laughs> Where do we want to rank Nick Fury? Definitely goes above 100, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where exactly, though? The art, the art lifts it up, but then the, uh, you know... Kind of the disjointedness, uh, kind of the yes, it's it's James Bond. Like that kind of grounds it, I think. Yeah, the fact that it's the fact that it is just it's good, but it's not revelatory. It doesn't have anything to say. Yeah, and it doesn't need to. I mean, I think that top quarter of our list has a lot of books that are trying to say something. So that's kind of why I point that out. Not because it's a bad that it doesn't have it, but I think that's kind of a big factor of a lot of the stuff that we have up in that top kind of quarter of our, of our list. I agree. So here's my ceiling. I am pretty high on this book. Mm-hmm. I would say that my ceiling is Karnak, which is at number 42. That's fair. I, think I don't that's disagree. Good. I kind of want to put this above Karnak because Warren Ellis is basically uh, the rock now in that he is kind of... Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, like At the end of the day, I think I have to say, you know, I actually got something out of Karnak in a way that I don't think I get anything of Nick Fury. But that also kind of puts it in the same neighborhood as like The Boys Are Back, which is that Power Man and Iron Fist series illustrated by San Fernin that was gorgeous to look at. Yeah. I would put this above like maybe Scape to Terror. Yeah, I would put it above that. Yeah, that's kind of where I was looking. I think I wouldn't go lower than the uh, Champions from 2016. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that seems like a good neighborhood. Yeah, I like all those placement because I do think I like the the David Walker Sanford Green Heroes for Hire Power Man and Iron Fist story. I like that a little bit better. The art is a little bit more my jam, mm. and the story I don't know. It does have a little bit more to say because it does have like you know supervillains trying to reform a little bit. It's got the what was his name, Mister Mahiko. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, re- it reestablishes them as a as a um, you know duo as much as as much as uh, Power Man doesn't want that as much as you know he just wants to be Luke Cage, the new dad who doesn't cuss at home. That whole bit is real funny. <laughs> yeah, there's something there's something interesting oh, to so say funny. about kind of grounding them and breaking them back down to like street level heroes and what that yeah. entails, right? You know, interacting with a community. You know, I think kind of like to Stephen's point, right? About was it Mister Mahiko talking about? How, you know, Doctor Strange dominates a lot of the magic stuff, right? And it's like, is Doctor Strange gentrifying magic? I don't know. It <laughs> <laughs> was very funny. I know it's just a bit, but it's funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's also, it's a good point, and it is funny. <laughs> and yeah, I think we put this just below that. Like if it, I think if it was one consistent story, if it had one through line through everything, I think it would have elevated it just a bit more. Just more, a little more bit. Frankie Noble. But as it stands, not a bad book, not by any means. The art, no, great. no, it's in our top fifty. 
Yeah, it is actually. Like, it's good. Yeah, it's good. This was a this was a good book. I got I again. I think it's it tries too hard, but I would rather something try too hard than not try hard enough, which I think makes it an interesting contrast with the Star Jammers book. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm really hyped for Spider Man. Uh, that's normally my mood. Yeah, did you new Spider Verse trailer dropped today? I think I know the answer. Did you watch it? <laughs> no, I did. <laughs> There is hope. I did. I saw screenshots that got me excited. Like, yeah, this is going to be great. But I I have not delved into it because I want to be pleasantly surprised with everything. Oh, it looks so good. (sighs) So we're going to read some Spider-Man for next time. Uh, We're going to go back to the very beginning of Miles Morales and read a story that Aldo and I have have talked about a little bit on the podcast before. I'm really excited to actually read it formally. And John, I don't know if you've read this before. Ultimate Comics Spider-Man issues 156 through i think it's 160 through the end of the series it's the death of spider-man story and then we're going to follow it up with a more established miles morales reading the first six issues of the 2018 series written by saladin ahmed really excited for these the ahmed series i have been meaning to read and just haven't done it and I remember literally tearing up in Barnes & Noble while I was skimming through Death of Spider-Man. Uh, back when I went to the bookstore on Friday nights instead of dating. <laughs> or taking care of a child now. Yeah. I can't stand around and read comics at the Barnes & Noble because if I do that, my child will completely decimate the, the elephant and piggy section of the bookstore. Mm-hmm. I am curious about revisiting Death of Spider-Man without the context of the previous 155 issues being fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, he does whatever a spider can, Aldo. Oh, thanks. All right, cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am also a little curious where... How, granted, because a lot of stuff is happening right in that part of the story, like in the Ultimates world. So, you know, I, I guess we'll find out when it, once we read that, once we read it, right? But I am also kind of wondering, I was like, how much does... How much is happening at the beginning of it? And so on and so forth. It's just been a long time since I've sat down and read it. So I'm a little excited to actually read Death of Spider-Man. It's, it is one of my favorite books. Actually, a super fun note. Like, not super fun. Fun for me, I guess. I have a friend on another podcast uh, on Big Shiny Robot. I used to write for Big Shiny Robot for a little bit. And Lucas, who is kind of the resident Spider-Man like expert on that podcast did a review for death of spider-man and on i think it was like the second run of the trades his quote on the book is on the back cover of the the trade paperback cool kind of neat neat yeah we've got we've got charlie singing a a song about how charlie's gonna be a big brother he's gonna have a baby sister is pretty neat Dude, it's so cool to, like, sing a song to a kid and have them repeat the words back to you, mm-hmm. even though, you know, Charlie can't say words yet. Yeah. Um, there are downsides to it, though. <laughs> uh, we have an unfortunate tendency to, uh, you know, swear in the car. Do you? And so, yeah. <laughs> and then we just hear this little tiny voice coming from the back seat. It's like, no, 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 shoot, Charlie, shoot.